Let's read together. Love one another with brotherly affection or with brotherly love. And do one another in showing honor. This is the word of the Lord and we ask you, Lord, to open it to our hearts and our hearts to your word. Amen. So we come this morning back to our series called You Are Not Crazy. If you thought you were, we want to say you are not. And what we mean by that is that if you expect us to be a community that lives out and embodies the marks of the gospel, you are not crazy. If you expect us as a church to live out and embody the marks of the gospel, you, that is not a crazy expectation. As a church, we want to be an embodiment of the doctrines we proclaim. Now, that word doctrine can be tricky. We don't use it quite regularly. But all it means is that it speaks of the revealed truth of God. There are truths that we hold to and we believe in and we profess them as the truths of our faith. And we don't want just to be people who say those right things, but we want to embody those things. We want those things to find flesh in us. That's what Christianity is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's how John introduces Jesus to us. We want the doctrine, these truths that we believe in, to find feet and, and hands in us. And as that happens, as we embody this truth, it leads us to action. I can remember talking with Richard the other time, and he said to me, in a very beautiful way, he said, love has action, is, is, is action. Love is action. Love is not just what we say. Love is act. We are to model what we claim to believe in. And so when we are the people who embodies this truth of God, it leads to transformed lives. It leads to lives that are transformed. In that way, the gospel is bearing fruit in us. The good news of Jesus that we have embraced, they are now bearing fruit in us because we are embodying that which we claim to believe. And uh, when we say gospel doctrine and gospel culture is equal to power. Now, two Sundays back, Quent looked for us at the other mark of the gospel in our lives, which is gentleness and bearing one another's burden. And that is the sign of the gospel in our lives. When we bear one another's burden, we are showing the, the marks of the gospel 
and the marks of God's grace in our lives. And today we move further. We are looking at another mark of the gospel, and that is honor, honoring one another. We move from gentleness and caring for one another, but to be a people who highlight the good things that we see in one another. That's what honor is. It's people who highlight, who mentions, who call out the, the, the evidence of God's grace in one another's lives. And that means we are to be people who are observant, who are looking around ourselves, who are able to see those moments of God's grace coming forth at one another's lives. And when we see that, we are to honor it. We are to acknowledge it, not to ignore it. Not only acknowledge it, but celebrate it. That's what we are talking about this morning. So the verse that we read says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. Go beyond. Do better. Don't just do it as a, po- as a box ticking, but uh, go beyond and do better than that. Outdo one another. Now, Ray Ortland commented and said, this is one place in the Bible, or this is the only place in the Bible where we are explicitly told to compete against each other. Otherwise, the Bible doesn't allow us to compete, doesn't allow us to boast, except to boast in the Lord, to boast about what the Lord has done, but not to boast in order to bring attention to ourselves, but to bring attention to the Lord because of what he has done in us. But here we are told, explicitly so, to compete against one another, to outdo one another. Now, we can, as human beings, get competitive very easily, either by losing weight and staying fit, or how we handle our finances, we can easily be competitive and want to outdo one another on areas that we feel we're good at over them. But yeah, we are told to compete specifically in this area of showing honor to one another. Not on the area of how fit do you look or how good do you look, but rather on the area of showing honor to one another. Now, the wonderful thing about this competition, this specific competition, is that the more competitive we are, the more everybody wins. That's the most wonderful thing about this specific area in which Paul is encouraging us to compete when we compete with one another in showing honor to one another, nobody loses. Nobody feels put down. 
Nobody feels that they are not worthy. But instead, everyone is a winner. What is showing honor mean? How do, how do we do that to one another? Well, Paul, in his letter to Colossia, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. So on the one hand, the way in which we can show honor to one another is by first wanting to hear one another's stories. Because your story tells us something about the person you are. It tells us something of, of your history. And often, I'm not sure about you, if you've ever hear somebody else's story. Few minutes into the story, you are learning that you are almost listening to God himself telling the story. As you listen to the story, looking at this life in front of you, where it came from and where it is, somehow you are seeing God's guidance. You are seeing God's provision. You are seeing God's love manifested in the life of the person. You are seeing God's plan as you listen to one another's stories. That's the way in which we are able, or the first way in which we are able to honor one another, to always look for opportunities to hear one another's story. And maybe that's why I'm excited about who is coming for dinner, as those unexpected guests will be coming, it will create an opportunity to hear one another's stories, which often helps us to understand those people better and be able to connect the dots. So to outdo one another, simple, simple means to talk to each other about the glories that we are seeing in one another. As we are sitting here today, we all have strengths, abilities that are different from each other. And how wonderful it is to be able to take time not flattering one another, not embarrassing one another, but genuinely acknowledging that which this person brings to this community or in your own life. To talk about the glories that we are seeing in one another. To talk about the glories of Christ that are emerging in one another's lives. Of course, one of the awkward things about receiving compliment is that it put pressure on you to live up to that expectation. But the truth is, none of us are perfect. You are not complimented because you are perfect. You are complimented because you're being encouraged to continue that direction. There will be time where you are not able to do that. But it doesn't, it, that's not your identity. Your identity is who Christ made you. And so Paul tells us we are not completely, we are a shadow 
of the people God wants us to be. And one day in heaven, we will reach that completion and the perfection of who we are. Yet before we reach that perfection and that completion, we need to acknowledge those glories that we see in one another. So when we honor one another, therefore, all we are doing, we are noticing, we are rejoicing in the things, in the glories of God in one another's lives. Our culture is good at letting one another know what they meant to us at their funerals. We're good at telling others about what that person meant to us at their funeral. I'm raised in the culture that discourages to tell somebody too much of good things in case they become um, big-headed. I think there is truth in that. Yet at the same time, we need to avoid another extreme. When we do that, we are showing the example of Jesus. We are celebrating the evidence of God's grace in one another's lives. We are noticing the echoes of the example and the service of Christ. Paul says in Philippians, when you see the people who have been serving you and sacrificing you in the church, he says, honor such people. And that's why we celebrate our volunteers. We celebrate the people who make things possible for us who come early in the morning on Sundays in order to open the doors and open the windows and make sure that we are able to function in a way that is, is, is good. We honor those people. We call attention to that which they are doing among us and we celebrate it. And we celebrate it not so much in celebrating them, but the evidence of God's grace in their lives. That's the emphasis. It's the evidence of God's grace in their lives. And therefore this means as a church collectively, we will never do anything that undermines the other person. If we are a church that honors one another, we will never undermine one another. We will never put down one another. We will never even do jokes that makes the other feel small. Those things will be unthinkable among us. You see, because the only human the only human dynamic that is allowed and that needs to be cultivated is the culture in the, in the healthy church, is the culture of looking at one another for evidences of grace that we see in, in each other. This is not flatting with one another because that's an undermine to the other person. 
It always has something to do with you. It's another way of being selfish. It's when you tell somebody else what you know is not true, but you want them to feel good in order to achieve your own objectives. Maybe you are here, you are new, you haven't had a relationship with Jesus. You're wondering, why do I need to do that? Why do I need to honor the other person? Or how would I do that? And it seems to me, until you recognize your own need of God's grace, or recognize the fact that you are a recipient of God's grace, you have received that which you didn't deserve. You see, because as a sinful person, you are a person under God's wrath. Instead of receiving wrath, you've been restored into a healthy relationship with God. If you have embraced Christ, that's what has happened to you. You've been restored into a healthy relationship with God. You have not received the wrath of God which you deserved. And out of that, then you are aware of how much you need to be a channel of God's grace to others. In the Jewish custom, this was a mystery, this idea of being a recipient of God's grace. In the Jewish law, the understanding was bad things happen to bad people. If you're going through difficult time, you're going through it, you're going through that suffering because you've done something wrong. We see this when the advisors and the counselors of Job came to visit him. They said to him, do you want to tell us in private if there is a sin that you've committed which causes you to suffer the way you're suffering? They were echoing that which they understanding in their, they understand in their theology that nothing Every bad thing happened to bad people. It's the same question that was asked by the disciples of Jesus when that child was presented to him with a condition. They asked, we have sinned. Is it the parents or the child? And Jesus said, neither of them. Neither of them. So, so I don't, God doesn't need a reason to punish you. If he, had, he needed a reason, none of us would be existing. None of us. That's what he says in Luke's gospel. He says, you think those 18 people who were destroyed by, by tsunami this morning, not tsunami, I'm just using that word because I don't know what the actual word. By tsunami this morning, they were destroyed because they are sinners worse than you. And then before they answered him, he said, no, they are not destroyed because of, they are sinners worse than you. They are destroyed. That which has happened, it has happened. Because nobody will escape if God is on the mission to destroy anyone who has done something bad, all of us cannot escape. So when we honor one another, we're not honoring one another as, as a sign of manipulating the other, but rather we're noticing the grace of God in their lives. Let me wrap up. How do we apply this? Now, the crux of this story is love versus 10, B.A. says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So, the first thing we learned from this is that love 
is doggedly devoted. Now, I don't use that word doggedly. I got it from the commentary I was using. So I had to look it up. What does that mean? I couldn't even pronounce it. Then I realized that it's the love that is deeply committed. It's the love that is devoted. And Paul kind of illustrate this idea of this committed love by using that language of brotherly. He brings in the family relationship into this story. Of course, siblings and children, they grow and develop, and at times they have different values from the values that they were raised up with, and they have different lifestyle, but they still remain your family whether they have different values from you, whether they have different lifestyles, they are still your family. And Paul here says that's the same love needs to be seen in the church of God. We love one another unconditionally. And that love is deeply committed to the other. That is a huge challenge for our culture today, the culture of individ the individualistic culture. So it's committed to one another. Secondly, real love put others first. We are told to honor one another above ourselves. In Philippians 2, verses 3, Paul says, in humility, consider others better than yourself. That's not easy in the individualistic culture. We treat others that they are more valuable and precious. That's why we honor them. And again, we are only able to see that which Moses said it so beautifully in the context of the life groups where real life happens, where we are able to model this committed love to one another through all the seasons of our lives, where we are able to put the other ahead of us. There are times like that. Even in the context of marriage, in the context of family, you don't do what you do because of what you're going to get back. You do it because you love and you care and you want to see the other being nurtured and nourished. And that leads us to the Lord's table where once again we are able to see the example of Jesus where he modeled and demonstrated this love by giving himself as a sacrifice for us. And as we partake on those elements, we are reminded through that bread of his body that was broken for us and through that little cup of the blood that was poured for us. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again, who crushed my curse of sinfulness and clothed me in his light and wrote in his law of righteousness with power upon my heart. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who walks besides, who 
who floods my weakness and strengthens my cause and cause fear to fly. Whose every promise is enough for every step I take, sustaining me with arms of love and crowning me with grace. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we call ourselves your children, not because of anything we've done, but because of your grace that was poured on us and removed our disgrace and clothed us with your light. And so, Father, we pray as we leave this place that you will clothe us with your light and you will not only clothe us with your light, but you will shine your light on us and you will favor us that we will be people who are a symbol of your grace to others. We ask all this in your name. Amen.